Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Our conversation today will bring you up to speed on a range of developments within the Beltway and beyond. Joining me once again for the conversation, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. Shane, great to be with you again. Happy Friday. Thank you for dropping by and looking forward to our conversation. Thanks, Dan. Good to be with you. So, Shane, perhaps beginning on a somber note, we've, of course, seen the devastating impacts of Hurricane Ian in southwest Florida. The hurricane continues to be an active storm. Our thoughts, of course, are with those who have been impacted. I know rescue assessment efforts still underway and will be for some time to come. In the past few days, we've heard from local, state, federal officials in recent time, including President Biden. So, Shane, what will the federal response here consist of, and what can the people of Florida expect to see in the way of support? Right, and that's important to note, you know, this isn't a local, state, or federal uh, effort. It's it's a combination of all three, which is going to be needed um, for such a uh, horrific hurricane. You know, I think um, the last count I saw was um, 19 people have have died uh, from the hurricane, and unfortunately, that's probably going to grow. Um, and now as the hurricane moves from Florida to, uh, Georgia and South Carolina, you know, uh, Florida can really start to clean up, which is going to, you know, not take days, but probably weeks as millions of, uh, of Floridians are without power. So, you know, a lot of the federal effort now is, is search and rescue, um, to help, uh, the state and local, uh, officials, you know, try and find anyone who's stranded and needs uh, life-saving uh, help at this time. And then, you know, another big part, obviously, is getting the power back on, and which is important for a variety of reasons, but also for the uh, cleanup. So you're seeing, you know, the Army Corps uh, engineers, which is a um, uh, part of the federal government being activated, and they're, they're doing what they can to get emergency power uh, assessments uh, ongoing and helping the relief there. So, you know, I think the, the part of the, the other part, which has not really been talked about yet, but which will be coming up probably, um, in December when Congress comes back will be, um, billions of dollars in funding to help, uh, the recovery efforts, uh, in Florida. Thank you, Shane, for the recap there. The silver lining, it is always nice to see how people resources come together during times like these to help those in need. So we'll continue to track this very closely in the coming weeks. I do want to turn to Washington over the years we've covered here on the podcast, funding efforts to keep the government open, to avoid shutdowns of various sorts. I know over the past week, lawmakers have been working yet again to do just that. So where do we stand as of this morning, Yeah, that's right. Uh, As of yesterday, the Senate was able to pass a bipartisan uh, bill to extend the government funding until uh, December 16th. Uh, But they weren't able to do this quickly and simply because first they had to um, remove a controversial energy infrastructure permitting provision um, that was supported by uh, Senator Joe Manchin. As we rewind the tape, you may remember from the Inflation Reduction Act, part of Senator Manchin's negotiations was to include this permitting provision. Once it became clear that this permitting provision was going to hold up the process, he, you know, he threw up his hands and, you know, uh, moved to help 
uh, Congress move forward and avoid a government shutdown. So yesterday, the, House, the Senate was able to pass this uh, extension of government funding. The House is probably going to do that this afternoon, um, just a little after lunchtime, and then it'll go to President Biden's desk for his signature, which will then avoid a, a government shutdown. You know, I think what what we uh, need to be mindful of is this is a temporary bill that essentially just funds government agencies at their current uh, spending levels and averts a government shutdown. Um, there is some additional money in it for, you know, Ukraine, um, various emergencies uh, like uh, wildfires out in the West, uh, lack of drinking water in Jackson, Mississippi. And then what I was just mentioning, um, this does not include funding for Florida for the hurricane because, you know, uh, that is such a league developing event that will come probably, as I mentioned, uh, this government funding bill expires in December 16th. So Congress will come back to the table um, for um, government, uh, a, a government funding bill, hopefully for the remainder of the fiscal year. And at that time, maybe they'll include some money for uh, Florida and and possibly, you know, Georgia or South Carolina, if they need funds uh, for the impact of this hurricane. Well, some encouraging developments near term, as you pointed out, temporary solutions. So we shall see how this takes shape in the weeks and months to come. Uh, maybe we can spend a few moments on geopolitics, a lot to catch up on here. Maybe we can begin with Vice President Kamala Harris's trip to Asia, where she did spend some time in South Korea, including a trip to the DMZ that was met with Mixed reception, so to speak. North Korea certainly was not happy about the visit. So what was the purpose of the overall tour, Shane? Yeah, well, I think as you and I have talked about in the past, the purpose often gets um, lost in the headlines after the um, event. And the two headlines after this event uh, were uh, Vice President Harris's gaffe uh, when she hailed the U.S. alliance with North Korea and obviously we have an alliance with South Korea. Um, so that gap has taken, you know, a life of its own. Second is, you know, about two hours after she left, uh, North Korea uh, fired missiles um, that appear to be short-range uh, missiles. So, you know, those are the headlines coming out of uh, her visit. But, you know, the purpose of the visit, um, as you were really asking about, was, you know, to reaffirm the U.S. Uh, South Korea alliance and push back on North Korea and, you know, point out that, you know, between these two countries, one is a vibrant economy uh, that has human rights, one is not. Um, and that is the power of uh, capitalism. And, you know, it's, it can uplift people. So, you know, uh, she didn't always just touch upon this uh, issue because, you know, it is about our greater alliance in the region, um, you know, our, our work with Japan and Taiwan. And so, you know, coming on the heels of uh, some dust-ups between U.S. and China uh, about the U.S.'s relationship with Taiwan, she tried to reiterate, you know, that uh, point again. So, you know, um, 
a lot going on there, but of course, most of it will be lost uh, once you read the headlines. Well, thank you, Shane, for those takeaways. Maybe one other geopolitical story we can touch on today, that being the ongoing Russia-Ukraine war. Where to begin with this one? I know a lot has taken place over the past few weeks. We've heard from Russian President Vladimir Putin uh, recently issuing some stark threats, including the use of nuclear capabilities and announcement of measures to escalate the country's military campaign involving a draft. And even recently, we heard about an annexation announcement of Ukraine territory. So what's the latest with the Russia-Ukraine war, Shane? Yeah, I think that the latest is that this is ongoing and still um, uh, probably going to be ongoing for for not just days, but uh, weeks and months and possibly years. This is um, continuing to devolve. And what you're seeing is uh, Vladimir Putin, you know, get further entrenched and backed into a corner. Um, kind of, you were alluding to, you know, the previous few weeks, he has lost ground in um, the eastern part of Ukraine and is trying to present strength. Um, and, you know, he has made a mobilization of, I think, 300,000 uh, Russians to call them up for active duty. Uh, this was met with a, a number of protests across Russia as um, Russians continue to uh, become concerned about, you know, why are they in Ukraine and is this proper action? So, you know, um, Vladimir Putin is not only facing rebuke uh, across the globe for his invasion into Ukraine, but within his own country. And you're also seeing um, thousands of Russians leave the country for fear of being essentially drafted and thrown on, onto the front line. So, you know, this is um, uh, kind of becoming a pivotal point for Putin and what he's going to do. And that's why you see some of the provocations of uh, potential nuclear war, because he's trying to figure his way out of the thoughts. And, you know, unfortunately, when you back someone in a corner like Vladimir Putin, uh, his reaction often is not uh, good. So, you know, I think that is was the latest um, and why you led to him claiming the annexation of those four regions in the East, because he's looking for a way out, a way to declare victory. Um, and, you know, obviously the annexation was on the heels of, you know, what everyone in the world pretty much saw as a sh- as sham referendum votes in those regions. So, um that is where we are at the moment, and we're going to see how uh, the rest of the world continues to act towards the annexation of these regions and how Vladimir Putin tries to use this as possibly uh, his way to kind of say, I've won and move on. But the reality is, even if he does claim that victory, you know, this uh, war in the eastern uh, portion of Ukraine is probably going to rage on for some time. Well, Shane, thank you for bringing us up to speed on the latest. And as you pointed out, a conversation we will continue to have for some time to come, though. Shane, uh, thank you once again for joining us here on the Washington Weekly Podcast, for keeping our listeners informed on a wide range of topics here at home and abroad. Wish you a nice weekend ahead and looking forward to picking back up with our conversation again soon. Absolutely. Thank you for having me uh, on, Dan. And I look forward to talking to you next time because at that point, playoff baseball will be here and, 
and let's go Mets. Absolutely. Well, very exciting for the New York area teams, that's for sure. Thank you again, Shane. Appreciate it. Again, today we've been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. A quick reminder for our listeners and clients of UBS, please be sure to reference the latest Washington Weekly publication, which is located up on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. For clients of UBS, simply reach out to your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the latest Washington Weekly publication directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy. 